GM friends, and welcome to the future of gaming. You're listening to our weekly blockchain gaming roll-up. It is today where I am, Thursday, the 8th of September. We've got Philip Collins, we've got Devin Becker, we've got myself, Nico Vreke. Today, we are talking about Soccerverse, beta, and in general, uh, sports games, which they're everywhere like blockchain gaming, like sports games. People are really into that, it seems. Um, we're talking about crypto unicorns, new game modes, and Exterio. So Exterio raises a lot of money, and they also have their white paper ads, which uh, we dug into a bit. Um, Devin, you're in Pennsylvania right now, East Coast. Yep. How's life there? It's uh, it's actually kind of better for me time zone wise, as uh, as you both know, I'm a bit of a night owl, and uh, being on the East Coast means like I'm actually finally kind of lined up with everyone mm -hmm. for the most part. Uh, so so it's nice when I get like people normally were scheduling stuff at noon, and I'm just like, oh, I got to be up at noon. Now I'm like 3 p.m. Okay, I could do that. So it's <laughs> actually uh, it's kind of nice because I it was really a struggle before working with East Coast people, but I'm only here temporarily till uh, till the end of the week, so I will be back uh, in the old uh, Bat Cave soon. Nice. Good. Um, all right, let's dive in. So the uh, first topic I wanted to discuss is a discussion we're having in our Discord in the on-chain games channel. Uh, we were talking about uh, a game that has their beta right now. It's, called, it's a game called Soccerverse. Um, it's built by um, a company called Zaya, X-A-Y-A. Um, they were one of the first people to actually build on-chain games. Uh, like way like in, in 2018 or something. Um, and so now they have a football manager that is um, now in beta and it's a on-chain football manager. So we've already discussed a bunch of other football managers where you can own a club, you can own players. Um, and so what they did is they've put all of that on chain. So every club is is sort of a DAO. Every player is sort of a DAO. Um, you know, if you own a player, you can like, you can um, assign a manager or you can appoint a manager. So if you own a player, you can ask to be the manager of that player. All of the other owners can vote on you. Um, and then, you know, you can decide where the, like, if the player is happy or unhappy, and then you can, you know, incentivize him to, or incentivize clubs to buy him and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting concept. Uh, it's fully on chain. So there's a lot of like MetaMask transactions that you have to sign. It's on Polygon, I believe. Um, and the, um, yeah, it is just, it's, it's interesting, right? Everything happens on chain. So I think every few days there is match results that get calculated um, by smart contracts. And, you know, between you and me, I haven't looked at the smart contract, so I haven't verified if everything is fair and provable. Uh, but it, it it led to a bit of a discussion because um, one of our other founding nerds at the FogDAO, Jasper, he, um, he works at Footium. And Footium is another football manager game or soccer manager game. And, but it's not fully on-chain. So there's actually like gameplay that happens off-chain, um, which means that it's smoother to play right? You don't have to sign as many transactions. And so I'd love to have your thoughts on, you know, whether on-chain is actually like beneficial given the, the, the worse UX and, you know, how you see this, this moving forward. Yeah. I think when I, when I think of fully on-chain, a lot of the times I do view it as pushing the technology of blockchain almost to its limits in terms of how it's integrated within games. Um, and it's an interesting use case today. Um, I, I do struggle to your point on like a potentially inferior UX with all of the, the wallet transactions and signatures that you need to place for things to happen. Um, it, it almost seems like a initial test that works over the next six to 12 months 
um, and eventually will fall out of favor unless you're you're able to find ways to make the on-chain user experience more seamless. And then I think you you lose a lot of the downside and, and maintain all of the transparency. But yeah, and in a lot of these early games, it almost seems like they're they're truly trying to appeal to this wave one of the crypto crowd that is very much about you know being true to the to the ethos of being transparent and and everything being visible to everyone and and data availability but but yeah i mean i think i think over time people are not going to be willing to sacrifice the ux for for being fully on chain yeah i i almost feel like this is something almost more like dwarf fortress where it's like it's really cool and it's awesome that it exists and i love this kind of stuff and it's great to see great to talk about great to try but it's like it's not mass appeal which is fine like this is pushing pushing the envelope uh, this is like trying to see what the technology can do uh, and build around that. And it's going to be a niche thing, but it's like there's so many sports games and things like that, that it's OK, I think, to have some niche ones, too, like for or niche. Sorry, I don't want to pronounce it wrong forever. Uh, but, so, you know, it, not every not every single one of them has to appeal to the same demographic of people. Right. Like um, there's plenty of soccer managers. There's plenty of things that, that they could do better or worse than others, better animations or better UX or, uh, like the, the licensed things or whatever. There's lots of different ways you can appeal to different audiences. And I think it's good, uh, also that this is a different genre from dark forest to kind of expand out the different types of things we can do on the chain. But I think overall down the road, I think we start to see like some, some either some existing genres really heavily adapted to on-chain or just brand new genres coming from the on-chain world. Because I, I think trying to adapt the existing ones is going to run into the comparative problem where you're looking at like this compared to that uh, when you're looking at the UX and stuff like that. But if it's a brand new genre and the UX gets better incorporated into the game design, things like that, uh, and you start to push in a very different direction. Like remember when, um, when mobile first came out and people were trying to, oh, I'm sorry, when the App Store part came out and people were trying to bridge over games like they're trying to find different ways to bring games over and the ui ux was was pretty bad because they were trying to do stuff like virtual joy pads and like trying to figure out how to incorporate touch into games where it didn't make sense trying to figure out the gesture language i feel like we're in that same phase when it comes to on-chain games where it's like yeah you could try and adapt some stuff it's going to be clunkier like maybe down the road it'll be smoother but overall like it's going to be better when it's like its own thing when like it develops its own genres or when it twists an existing genre to the point where it's a new subgenre and mobile's done that very well. And I, I can see the on-chain doing that as well, but I don't see that happening like soon, soon. But people, if people don't do these kinds of things, we're not going to see it ever. Right. So I like kudos to them for doing it. And I actually would look forward to trying it. Uh, but I don't expect it to be like everyone. You're not gonna see people on the subway playing this, you know, on their, on their phones, like on their daily commute. This is just, it's just not that kind of game. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that's weird about, a lot of blockchain projects that, I, that I'm seeing recently and, and something that I've been having more conversations around is a lot of people are almost trying to solve for the Web3 adoption dilemma by adding complexity to their, to their projects where they take something that exists today, they add a feature and then another feature and then another feature. And I think we're seeing this in a space like soccer or football um, where there's so many people pursuing this that everyone's trying to differentiate and, and, incremental ways and eventually you have the, so many features that you look back and it's like oh isn't that a really cool product and it's like in theory this is really cool but in adding all of these different layers you've now made things so complex to the point that it's borderline unusable and just more confusing and so you go like full circle of on the novelty scale it's very high on the functional scale it's very low um 
And that, that's almost like, it's almost like an academic approach to blockchain where you've done all of these incorporations and then it's like, mm. yeah, but what are we going to, what are we going to do with that? And who's going to use it? Is it maybe yeah. where these teams are looking at EVE Online and like, you know, it's such a complex and deep game. It takes you so long to get into, but it's proven to work because there's still, I don't know, like a hundred thousand or something people playing that. Um, and it's, like it's how really you hard to get hundred thousand people to be like proven to work, right? Like the, most people consider that a failure by just by the way people like have these expectations of being like the next huge thing, right? Like yeah. it's I guess it's is where you set your bar at. Yeah, um, I'd like to give like love to share my view on on chain and you know like provable randomness and and uh, fairness. So I think. Um, I asked you guys whether the fact that it's on chain makes sense or is an advantage given worse UX. And so I think um, I agree with your point. I think especially at the moment when there's not a lot of you know value being transacted in some of these games, having it on chain is is a net disadvantage given that you know the UX is just worse. Um, one of the things that I've seen being worked on, and I'm not sure if this works on L1, but I know it works on. Um, ZK rollup L2s is uh, uh, session keys, which means that you sign in once, and then as long as you're signed in, you can auto sign transactions. And so, you know, that makes it so that you don't have to, every time you do something, um, you know, verify or, or like approve a transaction, which makes the UX, like a huge difference UX-wise. Um, there's more stuff happening as well where some teams, you know, bundle transactions into a ZK proof in the client. Uh, so this is something, for example, um, that you know a, a team that I'm I'm working with is, is working on, and so you know th I think there will be a lot of advancements made on the user uh, experience and user interface side. That at some point I think the difference between having it on and off chain is going to be minimal, and I think at that point, games that involve quite some value, like for example, a so like a big soccer management ecosystem and game. Because it's it's actually like interesting, right? So you can own a club and then you can manage the club. And as the better the club performs, like you can buy better teams, the more like more money you earn and, and stuff like that. And so I like I, I really get the appeal. It's it's literally like if you take the existing sports or soccer ecosystem and you just bring it on chain and, and turn it into a game. Um, you know, I can see that grow. And if it you know becomes like if it grows fast and and, and very big, then I could see some serious money like going on in there and at that point i do believe it's very valuable to have stuff happening on chain there's Where, uh, you bring up a good point there's no reason why you can't do that auto sending transaction thing uh across many other wallets right that could be a feature in metamask for example it's literally like because essentially the way signing works is something like metamask or other wallets they're storing your private key for you and then using that to help you sign it, there's no reason they can't do that automatically. It's literally not a technical problem. It's literally just a UI UX thing. And in fact, Wax does that. So if you've ever used the Wax Cloud Wallet, you can check the box to have it automatically sign the same type of transaction for, for the, from then on. And they did that with Wax to make things smoother. That has its own weird problems, but the idea has already been there for quite some time in Wax as well. And I don't think it's like there's anything preventing it from working on L1s or anything else. Uh, yep. It's literally just a wallet feature you anyone can implement in whatever wallet. And I, I agree that that's like a really good point that that should be something we start to see more. If that starts to become a UX problem, like that's easily solvable. Obviously, that can lead to its own fraud things and you have to implement it carefully. 
But, it, you know, like as a general concept of like sign in and session timeouts and things like that, it's like that's very well known in the space. So I, I really hope we see that in something like MetaMask. Mm -hmm. It is actually really risky. Uh, for example, Phantom, which is the leading Solana wallet, used to have a accept all or auto accept all transactions from this website or something function. And that was abused, obviously, um, mm -hmm. until they actually had to remove it from the wallet and, and the extension. So, um, you know, that, that, that stuff can be very dangerous. Uh, and so it has to be used well. Um, yeah, um, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's my thoughts. Phil, what do you think? You think it, you know, having these things fully on chain bears merit? Yeah, I think, I think a lot of, in a lot of cases, it depends on the use cases. I think we covered this a few weeks ago with something like an ice poker and decentral games on Decentraland. Yeah. Having the, the provably fair odds when you're dealing with significant financially driven products. That, that matters, right? I think that's a that's a key a key use case that actually adds value compared to casinos that are oftentimes used, viewed as black boxes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think on a lot of these these blockchain platforms that are very financially driven in terms of a lot of the value to the player or gamer is in the the transacting and the the opportunity to not only buy and sell but trade assets and kind of win the game by progressing financially. Um, I think there's, I think there's merit there. I, I'm still kind of torn on how important it is from like an anti-cheat and a lot of other use cases, to be honest. But I mean, at least on like the, the financial forward projects, I think it makes a lot of sense. But, um, but yeah, I mean, on the, on the rest, on like the long tail of projects where maybe it's helpful to have things on chain. I'm not sure if I, if I really get particularly excited about that, but I don't have too strong of an opinion there yet. Mm-hmm. Talking about on-chain, it brings me to a small topic I'd like to touch upon. Um, I have found, or we have found, a game that is more for nerds than Dark Forest. Oh boy, I know where this is going. Yes. Oh yes. So Dark Forest, as many of you will probably know, is maybe the first like fully on-chain game. It's built um, by a bunch of DJs. Um, and you know, it's, yeah, it's fully on-chain game. It's, it works in seasons. Uh, we've already talked about it. I believe it's super interesting. Um, I did an interview on the Metacost with, uh, one of the, the creators, his name is Justin Glibert. Um, you know, and, and the dudes building these are absolutely brilliant out of this world, like IQ 160 plus all of them. It's insane. Anyway, so that game, you, you need to like, you need to understand blockchain pretty well. There's people building bots to win the game and basically you can't win the game if you're not using or leveraging bots to do like strategic decisions for you. Now that's like, and the people playing that big nerds, we found a game that requires you to, requires you to be more of a nerd than that. It's a game called zero X Monaco. And it is a, like a racing simulator where they require you to write smart contract code to like, you know, input a team into the game. So you need to like write code to make a move essentially. And and to like, I, I, I don't know how to describe it. You have to like build a car or a team around a car or something. And then, you know, that your smart contract will play for you in that game. Um, and it's really interesting. And, you know, it, it's obviously like it's a game, but it's not really a game. Um, and I think it's more of a way to, you know, look for either for nerds to compete or to find nerds that are very smart. And then, you know, try to have them build shit that actually makes sense, I guess. 
I wouldn't say it's not a game, although it does lean more towards competition. Uh, but I only say this because I'm I've been programming for well over two decades, and um, and I've played plenty of these kinds of games over the years that where you program as part of the game, right? Where it's almost like these kind of competition sort of things where people are programming some sort of bot or whatever, like Core Wars or like um, AI Fleet Commander. All these there's like this long series of games that that have always kind of existed doing that sort of thing as each new kind of generation of of technology comes about, someone finds some way to write one of these kind of games. And I think they're they're really cool for that specific niche of people. Like I've definitely played them. I'm not a super programming nerd, but I do think the the idea is really cool and I, and I think it is fun to play those because you start getting really hacky in kind of a fun way. Like where you, you it pushes you not just like in terms of your skill as a programmer, but it actually forces you to explore the boundaries of the programming language, the environment, the rule set. And it, even more so than Dark Forest. Like, Dark, Dark Forest already kind of does that to some extent, right? Where, like you said, if you're not playing with bots, you're kind of playing with disadvantage. Whereas something with, like, OX Monaco, it is, like, the whole point is to really push the boundaries of everything and look for edge cases and things like that. And those kinds of things actually really are great for building up uh, people that are going to be great for, like, say, cybersecurity for smart contracts and stuff like that or be great auditors because they start to learn all the quirks of Solidity and the blockchain and stuff like that that they can abuse and that others can abuse. And it becomes like very, very valuable. Like like maybe Nico was hinting at it becomes a great recruiting tool as well, of course. Um, but I think these kinds of things are almost always necessary to sort of exist to give a fun outlet for these people. You remember like the, t- the TV shows where it's just robots battling each other that are only like almost like little Roomba kind of things. We're great for like robot engineers and uh, these sorts of things where you, you're sort of pitting your intellect against other people in these areas, I'd still definitely classify them as games. They just they just act as sort of this ongoing competition. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it almost seems like community research projects. And again, going back to like the academic point, it's not something that is going to get mass scale. Like, I don't think you do this and build it out to be a billion dollar business and have a bunch of VC funds throwing a ton of money at it for years. Um, but I think there's a lot of cool stuff that can come out of it, despite being incredibly niche. So I think there's a on the surface, it's it's kind of like a why does this why does this need to exist? But I mean, who knows? Like the the types of insights you can glean from from the people that are building on that platform. It's a it's a very high IQ group, as Nico mentioned. Mm-hmm. Good. And one more thing I want to talk about with regards to not on chain, but we were talking about sports games. So rare partnership with the nba so we're putting basketball um on, on surreal as well uh, i was in paris a few like about a month ago or a bit more than a month and i was at the surreal offices offices and they were mentioning like we are going to partner with an or there's going to be a new sport on surreal but they didn't didn't want to say want to say which one and then i'm there and suddenly i see a dude walking who's like two meter 30 like tall he's insanely tall and at that point i i could guess where we were going um, when I saw that dude walk around these Sorare offices. So um, if you want to have insights into, you know, what, what game is going to be next in Sorare. Way um, to stereotype, yeah. Nico. <laughs> that's true. So it's a, that's that's very true. It's good kind of stereotyping, no? Um, it's like, you know, if you know a tall dude, it's like, oh, do you play basketball? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so any thoughts on, on the NBA partnership for Sorare? I think, I mean, sports just continue to be an onboarding case, it seems like. Sports like basketball, American football, you know, global football. I think people love using these 
representations of athletes because they're familiar and the demographic that follows sports oftentimes is maybe, you know, highly likely to be more inclined towards crypto or more open to adopting crypto. And so it just seems like a big marketing expense for, for adoption. And I mean, it will continue to be used with, was it, was it Binance that's working with like Ronaldo or something? And I'm sure they're signing mm. these, these crazy contracts with, with these guys because they're such a figurehead and they just like exude trust to this high, to this high quality and high LTV demographic. Um, that every time I see a sports thing, that's like instantly what I go to is like marketing and nothing wrong with that, but that's, mm. that's kind of like where I, where I leave it off, uh, in my mind. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I think it's. It's funny though because we're starting to see the point where people are going to be competing to an extent where like there's multiple games within the same sport. So like uh, in a way, even like NBA Top Shot is a competitor, right? Even though it's not a fantasy sport or even a game, uh, it's just the the idea of the sports interaction and collectibles and things like that is spreading pretty fast amongst these. Like to the point where Splinterlands was going to be making multiple sports games uh, and. It's going to get competitive amongst these to, to get these deals, to negotiate these contracts, uh, which is, I guess, great for the sports organizations, right? Because then they all, all of a sudden have leverage, uh, can negotiate better deals and stuff because people want those sports in there. And it is kind of funny to see sports because we, we, there was this kind of tradition, you know, you know, maybe going back to like the 80s and 90s where we had this kind of like jocks versus nerds sort of thing. But over time, fantasy sports really bridged the gap between nerds and jocks. Like, mm -hmm. It is it is the nerd version of jocks, like sports people, like that are that are into fantasy sports. And baseball, of course, was like a big part of that bridge. And I think we talked about that a little bit when we were talking about the MLB deal. Um, but this idea of like stats and following things and being super nerdy about the sport, like knowing all the players, even though it's more of like a people thing and like a dude kind of thing or whatever, sometimes it's still very nerdy in a way. Like you're still like obsessing over something. Yeah, maybe it's not like Star Trek, but it's still a little bit of fantasy there. It's still a little bit of like. Uh, kind of trying to participate in a world that you're not actually part of. Uh, and I think there is some of that, like sort of living out your fantasy, like by proxy with these people. And uh, that is, that is a great bridge, like bringing people into crypto that way. Um, so rare does it in a very light way. And so I think so rare is a great gateway because they don't, they don't involve too much crypto. Like the crypto is there. So trading can happen, right? Like they keep it pretty mm -hmm. simple. It's not very complicated. They're not using the blockchain for everything. It's more like you can do cool trading. Their trading system is pretty good and pretty robust with the, the ability to like do the auctions and uh, for the minting and then do the trading and swapping and all that sort of stuff. I think it's a great platform. Uh, and I, I expect we'll see more, but I think that one to go across multiple sports um, is a great example and, and I think will benefit the ecosystem overall, especially being an Ethereum based one, right? Um, you know, post merge, it becomes even more doable. And um, I actually look forward to them continuing to accrue sports to them, like, or maybe even wrestling or whatever else, like, right? They expanding out because uh, it's such an easy onboarding platform and the way they've built it is so flexible because it's just basically trading cards and fantasy spots that they could expand to esports, they could expand to other non-traditional sports. There's a lot of room for growth there that I think uh, makes it easy for them to expand out to a bigger audience. And I think it's only good for us as an as a industry. It's also a very logical fit where if you think of like professional sports, you have a finite number of professional athletes per sport, and there's already a perceived value of what those players are worth. So you know, you're going to, you're going to value Messi a lot higher than, you know, a second league player that you've never heard of. And so there's already like an arbitrary scale of value and theoretically that can be infinite scalable, infinitely scalable. So it, it does make sense for 
like an, an initial use case of NFT. So it's kind of unsurprising from that standpoint as well. Here's a quick twist though that I just thought of. Like they went from being like uh, supporting a more of a worldwide sport with soccer to all of a sudden uh, two US centric ones with MLB and NBA, which are both mm. US centric. So I'm curious how that will uh, affect the uptick. I've I've followed a bit of the the sort of metrics of so rare in terms of like uh, NFT volume things like that as I do as part of Novik, and uh, and I've I've noticed they haven't gotten a huge upswing out of MLB, but they definitely have done better in sort of like the downturn market and in terms of like where NFT trade volume is hugely down. They have benefited quite a bit from expanding other sports, but I think with it being US centric, it didn't explode as big as say like the initial stuff or uh, even NBA Top Shots kind of appeal. Uh, to this broader audience. And, and I'm curious if, if NBA will have a, a broader appeal than MLB. I mean, MLB obviously might have some appeal in like other countries like Japan, for example, that are really into mm -hmm. baseball. Um, but I'm curious, I, I don't know because I'm not a sports nerd, where NBA has appeal worldwide or not. Like, obviously we know that there's like, uh, you know, NBA players that, that do play in other countries. And there was the whole deal with China and the NBA and stuff that, that sort of went back and forth. But I, I'm really curious to see where the worldwide appeal is. Basketball's become actually actually surprisingly global, I think, in in scope over the last decade or so. And I think one thing that's interesting is the NBA, for example, is making a, a massive push towards becoming more international. They have NBA Africa. They're constantly trying to increase their presence and exposure. I wonder if they're actually very excited about this because, you know, the audience that has a big portion of the audience that has been excited about NFTs and what you can get with them has been fairly international. And maybe that's a, maybe that's a spearhead for some of the, those markets for the NBA. And that's what gets them, you know, excited about the, the partnership. Yeah. I um, believe last year or two years ago, Sorare raised a huge round at a multi-billion dollar valuation. And at that point I was like, what the hell? Why do they get, do, like why this valuation? It's just insane because I, I thought of, so rare as, as mostly like football focused. Um, and then, yeah, they like, I don't know who I was talking to. Then they told me like, yeah, but the, they sell it as a platform to build out more sports related franchises and, and ecosystems um, because they, they have both the platform for it, right? The technology is there. They can like, they have the NFTs and then they can easily build like some kind of competition around it, so some kind of game around it. And then the, um, they also have the ability to do the partnerships and a proven track record of, of like good partnerships with these, um, these sports teams, mainly in Europe initially. Um, and you know, it's not easy to get these partnerships. I, so I, um, I, I met with their growth lead, Brian O'Hagan, uh, like a few weeks ago. And he told me the story of, uh, the founder, Nicolas Julia of Sorare who actually his first partnership was with the Belgian uh, football league. So here where, where I live. And he told me that like no one wanted to talk to him because this was what, 2017, 2018, super early. And uh, the Belgian dude was like, you know what? Why not? Just give it a try. And, uh, and that's where it all kicked off. And he, he had trouble. But now like, you know, you sign one, you sign another, it gets easier and easier. Um, and I think now they're probably looking to, um, to have a bunch of sports on there. Um, question for you. I just Googled the biggest or the most watched sports. So soccer is number one, number two and three. You both get two guesses. Um, let's see if, if you get it. Phil, what do you think? Basketball and cricket. Okay. Devin? Honestly, I, I, I would say the same thing, although maybe I'll put cricket above basketball, but otherwise I would say that that's, that sounds about right. Okay. So cricket's very correct. Cricket's number two, 2.5 billion fans. Basketball is a shared ninth spot. Wow. Wow. Number three is field hockey. Oh. Which 
I used to play actually. I played it for like 10 years. Um, I was I was I was not very good. Gonna, I'm going to be honest. Number four is tennis. One one billion fans. We have volleyball, table tennis, baseball, golf, and then shared basketball and American football. You've got ping pong above, way above yes, basketball. Sir. That's crazy. That's all right. Yep. Well, then it is yep. pretty probably pretty U.S. centric to some extent. Then yeah, yeah, it is. It is. But it also means that there's a huge opportunity out there for these uh, more like food, like sports centric collectible no, games. Nico, what it really means is they need ping pong next. Yes, true. Dude, I, I wanna I wanna have the 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 top ping ponger in the world. I have no idea who that is. Um, like very stereotypical. I can is imagine it it's Wars an Cup? Asian dude. <laughs> Good. So what's, right. what's crazy? What is crazy? And and talking about like the so rare validation of their their prior um their prior valuations i was looking up just like sales of licensed merchandise across sports and the first number that came up for me was about 32 billion dollars in 2021 and 24 percent of that was apparel for example so like if you if you buy into digital assets being an important part of the fan experience in the future like there's definitely a market there for for licensed items so that dude's there I think NFT is going to be such an unlock for fan engagement where, you know, as a player, if you own my NFT, then I'll give you like special access to, to shit. We can do Q and A's, um, you know, do metaverse parties. Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's going to be huge. So I can definitely get it. I just think it's, it's a bit, a, a bit skeuomorphic. So, you know, that, that's the other point I wanted to make around this. Um, I think this is an incremental uh, innovation, right? I think this, being able to like own, like have digital versions of the old Panini cards that were huge here in, in Belgium. Um, I was one of the few losers that didn't collect them, but all of my friends did. Um, I, I think it, you know, it it fits NFTs, like collecting fits NFTs. I don't think it's a full unlock. So I think the the, the, the big unlock, the big innovation will come from somewhere else. Uh, but I love this because it is bringing a bunch of people that had like don't want to be associated with nfts don't even know what nfts are and they're like yo i used to own like freaking messi's panini card i can have that digitally and then start playing games with them hell yeah sign me up so um makes me happy yeah same good all right next crypto unicorns new game mode Devin, what can you tell uh, tell us about it? So I guess they decided, uh, you know, while while we're taking our sweet time finishing the game, why not just release four new games? Uh, <laughs> I, this is something we've actually seen quite a bit. Like games, uh, I remember Soul Chicks was going to do their little mini game, and like oh, it, it's it's a common thing now. It's like it's like this. Um, I, I I was kind of referring to it as like an appetizer. Like it's this way of sort of like trying to get people full while they're waiting uh, for for the main course, which. You know, Axe is a great delay tactic. And and it, honestly, you know who it's really great for is contract developers, like contract game developers. This is, the, mm -hmm. this is, this is like going to be their bread and butter is developing yeah, yeah. these like lobby games for these people to, while they wait. Uh, because <laughs> obviously you don't want to detract from the main experience, right? You don't want to be like, oh, we're going to put our developers on doing this other thing because fans will just, you know, like the, the NFT holders will like have your head at that point if you're like, oh, you know, we're just going to go do this instead of finishing the game, right? Like that, that's bad. Uh, so it just ends up falling on these contract developers to sort of, uh, I'd say, but kind of shovel out these games. And I think for right now, honestly, and I doubt Crypto Unicorns is going to be much different. Most of these are going to kind of be shit games. Like, realistically, like, they're not going to be great. Um, they're not going to be developed with, like, being a full product themselves. 
And so there's not going to be the same level of effort there. Not to mention it's going to have to come out of the game developer's budget. doesn't matter that a contractor is doing it. Someone's paying for that, right? Someone's paying that contractor to make it, which means Crypto Unicorns is then taking that money that you spent on your unicorn, and instead of spending it to improve the development of the game, they're developing other mini-games, right? Because Coda and Iguanabee or whatever are not developing these out of the kindness of their own heart uh, or because they're NFT holders and they just want the utility, right? Uh, so it is great, though, for expanding inter interoperability stuff, and that's where I get excited about it. But overall, like, they're just trying to appeal to, like, the the, the holders and maybe a little bit of, of other people, like hoping other people will be like, oh, what are these unicorn things? Let me go buy some of these. But then they're going to see the prices are going to be like, F that. Like, I'm just going to play this hyper casual game and I'm probably not going to buy them. And it's, but I mean, you, we saw this in the past, like, say, for example, with like uh, Skylanders, where there was like the mobile game, like the on, on iPad, you could just hook up like a little portal and actually take your Skylanders from like the console game and play them in like the mobile game. But the utility for the actual figures was so low. Because the amount of effort is just never there, right? It's just like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you could play with your unicorn in the game. But it's like, maybe it's visually represented, but the actual utility isn't really there. Like, you're, the, whatever you did for breeding and the genes and all that stuff doesn't end up mattering much. Um, and so it, it's just a low effort thing. And that's what kind of disappoints me a little bit. Now, I'm saying this, of course, without knowing the details of these games outside of like uh, a two-sentence description at most, right? Mm -hmm. But I've seen the history of this sort of thing. And... Like, logistically, I just have very low expectations for it. But hey, I hope I'm wrong. Like, I hope these games are, like, awesome. But they're sl they're slated for Q4 this year. So this is not, like, 2024, we're going to have, like, a metaverse kind of BS we usually hear, right? This is, like, mm -hmm. or we're going to pump these out soon. Lobby games. I'm noting yeah. that down, and I'm, I'm going to be using that more often. This is uh, a Go really it. good term. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting, because I think... You made me realize that as a team, I, I'm I'm usually like if a team comes to me and asks asks should we sell NFTs like way before our the real full game is out. Um, right now, I'm I'm usually hesitant because I think there's the dynamics in the market with all of the speculators make it so that like it's 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 just risky, right? Either your the price goes up too much, and then you know people have unfair expectations about like revenue potential of the NFTs that you sold or the price goes down and then people think your game failed while you're are, like still building it. And so like if you sell NFTs, like you can actually make money and you can start generating revenue by incentivizing people to trade or having people trade. But at that point, it also means that you will have to, you know, start building lobby games. And so that's also an additional cost. So, right, you can almost do a calculation of, okay, we're going to sell NFTs. This is what we expect to get from that. And then, you know, this is the, the, the trading revenue that we expect to get. But then we'll, we'll need freaking lobby games because people are going to get bored uh, with the simple game loop that we'll have in the beginning. Um, and that's going to cost us money as well. And I think I don't, don't, those games won't be revenue drivers. It's literally, right. as you say. It's a it's it's like the elevator music of the game industry or something. I, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Kickstarter stretch bad. goals all over again, right? Where people did the stretch mm -hmm. goals to generate additional revenue, but in doing so, they actually set themselves up to incur higher costs than they actually even made in profit by setting the stretch goals because people get a little excited, they start promising all the world, and then yeah, then the, then the lobby games come out, and then they have to like do that to buy themselves time. Because they generally usually bite off more than they can chew, but they don't want to let the the crowd down. They don't want to be like, oh well, we, we sold a bad product. We want this value to stay up. We want to be able to continue to sell stuff to you uh, beyond the initial pre-sales. 
And so they have to start buying themselves time. And I'm not saying for sure that's what they're doing, right? It's not like Crypto Unicorns came out and said, by the way, guys, we're buying ourselves time because we can't finish this game yet. Uh, but I think it's kind of implied to an extent, right? Yeah. I um, I have a recording in 12 hours with Aaron Beierschmidt. I don't know how to pronounce that in English. Anyway, so he's the CEO of Laguna Games, the creator of uh, Crypto Unicorns. And Ooh. so um, I'll uh, if... if, if I don't know what else to ask. I might ask, like, Spicy. dude, what's up with these new games, man? Are these lobby games or, or what's going on? Um, let's see what Well, he, he can't say they're lobby games, though. No. Yeah. So, but I, but I, I like to ask these leading questions and then... Right. Mm -hmm. Poke dance. him, see what, I, like, see what he says. Exactly. You have, man, the, the CEOs in general are also, like, always so good at answering these questions. Yeah. I'm always amazed. Like, I get tough questions about, like, play to earn and, and does it make sense and all of that stuff. And then I, I tend to ask these questions to the people that I interview. And some of these people are like, they give the perfect answer. I'm like, it's practice should, half the time. Yeah, it's, it is practice. Um, good. Final um, piece of news. We still have some time left. Exterior raise. So we have two things to talk about. So one, the raise itself, and then we can go into their white paper. So I did some, well, I didn't did do much digging, but Exterio uh, published a Medium or article or like it published, announced that it raised $40 million. It is a, or I would categorize it as a Fun Plus spinoff. So I think these are, so I, the way I see this work is you have these big, big, big companies, um, you know, Fun Plus or like, like Ubisoft and, and, and or other types of players where, you know, they see opportunity in Web3. Um, but it's a risk to dedicate too much internal, like, uh, talent to that because they have other shit to build. And so, you know, they build small teams that they then spin out of the company. Um, they give them, you know, resources, help. They obviously like invest in that company as well. They own part of the shares or many, I don't, I don't know the exact dynamics there. Um, and then they, those companies get to work on something that is like super degen. And then if they make a mistake, it doesn't reflect too badly on the, on the parent company. Um, and so Exterio's cross-platform portfolio will focus on multiplayer games with deep, rich gaming experience across multiple genres enhanced by player ownership. And so that ownership keep, keep, kept coming back in the Medium article that they posted. Um, blockchain is a tool in the toolkits, in our toolkits to provide a great experience and not the end goals, which is you know what we always say, which pretty much everyone always says. But it's mostly focused on ownership and the the ability for you to resell what you bought. So um, you know it's it's the whole um, like oh you buy something and but what if you don't want to play the game anymore? Then you can't do anything with it. Um, so the resellability um, and also out of that. Medium posts, our NFTs will be interoperable and provide real value. Real value, guys. Um, How much of that know. was it copy and pasted? Like <laughs> from like a million other articles and white yeah. papers and whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's a raise. Uh, curious, multiple games, um, interoperability. I, I don't think there's, well, there's not much to say more about the raise, I'd say. But uh, Devin, what, what did you pick? Or find out from the white paper. What honestly screams out to me is, is and that, that article helps highlight it, honestly, is the lack of details. Uh, when they go, all these games, and it's going to be so interoperable, and blah, 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 but not a shred of detail. That's, that is where I get concerned, right? Because the mm. bigger the promise, the more detail needs to back it up, right? Or at least the more hint of detail, where, like, you could, there's something to actually chew on and speculate with, right? Um, it's, uh, and uh, it's reading through the white paper, you you realize 
uh, they're, they're talking a big game, but the details are really scant in terms of how they're going to back that up. The biggest one, the biggest flag for me is they talk about, and I see this all the time in white papers, this is a deflationary token system. That's, that's my favorite word now because it's almost always not backed up. And, and so they talk about that and then immediately change the subject. Uh, and, and look, there, you know, it'll be deflationary through token burning. And then the word burning is never mentioned again. You have no idea how this burning is going to happen. There's no utility outside of staking actually mentioned. Uh, and so to me, like there, I, I find this, obviously you, you see this a lot too. I'm sure you guys do the, everyone gets excited about picks and shovels, right? When it comes to a big new technology gold rush. Right. And I feel That's like you get these companies that, that do that, that they go like, yeah. They're like, oh my God, we can we can build this technology around it. We'll be the platform and we'll like provide mm. these tools and everyone will use our stuff because it's so easy and great. And like the white paper half the time is like talking about how like awesome of an experience it's gonna be and how easy it's gonna make everything. But it's like obviously it's 27 pages of not backing that up. Like there's no there's no detail of how that's gonna happen. Uh, and I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm saying like they're they're promised, they're talking a big game. And I don't see a blueprint for it. I see like a lot of paragraphs of press release uh, in that white paper and some some nice looking diagrams. They did have some cool stuff in there. I don't want to completely slag them off, but I think uh, they had some like neat ideas behind uh, like so or, or like, some of the interoperability technology of like storing value on chain shared amongst games uh, to allow extra metadata to be shared and stuff like that. That sounded like a cool concept and was like one of the novel parts. But the rest of it just sounded like basically they were building a blockchain inside a blockchain. Like everything they were describing sounded like they were just trying to build an easy UX like micro blockchain that they were considering like their own sort of economy, like that they were going to mm. monetize. And like, I, I don't honestly, I just don't buy it that I don't buy working. And I, I think they're overly ambitious. And that 40 million is like a drop in the bucket compared to what they realistically need to build this. Yeah, when I when I hear interoperability or see interoperability on on pitch decks, a lot of the times it falls into two buckets. The first is a closed loop where this company is going to build twenty small games and let you use the asset across those those games. Um, and, and the other is usually on the platform side where somebody's like, "Isn't it crazy that you can't use your assets everywhere? We're going to fix that." And all the time it's like, you kind of just don't get to like wave your wand and say we're going to make this interoperable across all platforms. It's like the platforms as of today have to let you do that. Like there's no just magic wand where you can put your asset all, all across the board. And so I, I feel like interoperability is is has been historically a, a, a pretty significant buzzword in the space that we're operating in here. Um, not that there isn't a really cool opportunity in interoperability, but I feel like that's how I've historically seen it done is closed loops where they're going to own the content and these like, kind of like pie in the sky visions of it's so crazy this doesn't exist yet we're gonna fix that and then when you start reading into it it's like wait like this just you, you can't do this um so i don't know nico i don't know how, what you've seen but those are my my high level buckets on the interoperability front yep uh, pretty much it question for you guys can we call it interoperability if it's within or like within the ecosystem of one economic actor If if it exists yep. outside the game and then it, and then also exists inside another game, I'd say that that is the base level definition, and I think that's fine. Like, um, mm -hmm. like that, I still use the Skylanders example because like it was within one ecosystem of games, but I I think they definitely proved a, a form of interoperability that had value. Like, and there there was value there. 
Um, maybe you can like say the value sucked for whatever reason, depending on how they implemented it, but there was clearly something there. And I think NFTs can replicate that same thing. But I think at this, the same time, you end up with a situation where, as Phil's pointing out, when people try and talk about this closed loop economy of a bunch of games, and they have that in there because they call it the game gallery, right? Um, honestly, the games are almost always crap, right? Because they're more concerned with like getting like number of games and things like that mm-hmm. than they are concerned with quality, right? Because quality takes huge amount of time to build, right? Like if they were to actually build like say 20 games of high quality, we're looking at 10 plus years. Investors aren't going to like wait 10 plus years to get the return on that investment, right? So they're not going to be building 20 quality games. Like it's just not going to happen because realistically they need, the, the, in order to prove the value of the interoperability, they need quantity, not quality, right? In terms of proving out their tech. Yeah. And I think there's two different degrees of it where I think you can call it interoperability. And I think Devin's actually mentioned this in the past where there's another word you can use for the closed loop, which is maybe like transferability, like transferability across this platform and interoperability is platform to platform. Um, but th- those are definitely two very different steps and scopes for this type of, for this type of functionality. Yeah. And I think the, the idea is at the end of the day, they're going to push the other developers in the ecosystem to use the, the things, right? So if I make game A and it's the first game on the platform, right? I can't do any interoperability. Right, because there's no other games on the platform, so it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. But game B, you better believe there's going to be a lot of pressure on game B to use yeah. as much from game A as possible. And even if game B doesn't want to, and then game C comes along, and they're like, "Great, I got to use stuff from game A and B because I'm still in the small pool where I don't get my pick." Uh, and it's going to start to dictate things. They're going to be acting essentially as a publisher at that point and kind of forcing uh, game design. And like, I mean, if you looked at like Infinite Arcade or any of these other ones that are just like. It's like Flash Portal days where it's just tons of like low quality content to try and prove out the value. And I, you know, I tried a whole bunch of, uh, you know, infinite arcade games. And it's just like, it's almost more like knockoffs of, of existing games. And yeah. overall, like, I, I love the ideas, uh, but, the, but the realism kind of brings it down a notch, I think. I also think that on the interoperability versus transferability point, it's interesting because to Devin's point, a lot of these these closed loop ecosystems are a bunch of really simple games because you're focused on volume. And when you're focused on volume, it's more like the hyper casual model where you're expecting your users to churn, right? Somebody's not going to come to the simple game and play it for two years. They're going to come and if you're lucky if 5% of your users are there 30 days later. That's, that's great for you. Um, and so transferability almost reminds me more of like leaping from game to game. I'm going to play this game until I'm tired of it. And then we're going to keep them in our system and move them to this game. And so like, they don't care if the game's good, they just want to keep you there. And so transferring from game to game as I jump versus, hey, I'm going to go from Fortnite to Roblox to insert any other platform and, and take my asset with me. Um, I think those are, those are two very different use cases. And I think the, the, the true interoperability side is much more compelling, but also much harder. And it's also going to suck for the game developers when they're constantly churning people because like they couldn't maintain any of them. Because interoperability just adds as a fuel for them to people to leave mm. their game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I fully agree with all of that. Um, and then one one last piece of, of insider information. So I think um, I word through the grapevine was that the valuation of the company was um, around three hundred million dollars. That could, yeah, that's 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 what I heard. Um, but uh, could be way more, way less. But uh, I think that it, it should be around that. Also, given a $40 million raise, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. Good. That's pretty much it for today. Um, anything we're excited about happening? Yeah. I, I, w- I was going to mention as well, they, uh, 
because just because I'm, I'm sometimes a Splinterlands fanboy, I thought it was really interesting their announcement of the uh, tower defense game. Uh, they're oh, also yeah. leading up to their their big Splinter Fest event and all that stuff. But they had just come off the backs of announcing that that uh, you know the soccer game, which was like uh, like that was out of left field. But then like they were like a little bit more within their wheelhouse in a way, like announcing this um, tower defense game they just announced like just the other day in their town hall. This idea that uh, it's you know, tower defense game is not like a big stretch. In fact, when they opened up, like they were asking for their ideas for inoperable games, it was basically like I was one of the first suggestions and I suggested something similar. I don't think they necessarily took my idea. I'm not taking credit or anything, but it, I just mean like maybe I'm saying it's kind of an obvious idea, like in terms of like if you take the cards. But the the part that kind of I thought was odd was that uh, instead of trying to take the cards as they are and translate them into something that makes total sense for the game, the cards themselves are like, extra value like that you can stake into the towers sort of things like to provide boosts to the game but they don't actually they're not inoperable and so like they're trying to sell new cards and new uh, tower things and stuff like that and i found that kind of odd because it's like there was a good opportunity for them to take people that had existing cards in splinterlands and then use them in this game just to increase like the value of splinterlands cards but instead like they're using this as a way to kind of sell new cards but also provide a little bit of utility for people that it, like already are in the Splinterlands ecosystem. There's also the cross tokens. Don't get me wrong. Like if DEC and SPS like will have utility in this and stuff like that. So there is other stuff besides just the cards. But I thought it was uh, interesting. Like, and we're definitely seeing this trend, right? Like talking about the mini games and the lobby games and stuff. This is more of uh, a post game game, right? Like, I mean, I know they are still delaying to implement stuff like land and stuff like that, but they're not like crypto unicorns where they're like kind of behind on their core game delivery, they're instead trying to extend out their core game into other things. And I don't know, maybe they're also running into a situation where they aren't doing exciting, cool new stuff enough in their core game that they've got to like try and expand out to other audiences. But to me, this definitely sounds like something where it's, I don't think it's going to bring in new people and I don't think it's going to retain existing people any better, um, but it might drive a little initial revenue. And, and, and I'm, I'm a little skeptical of the overall idea. Let's see. I am a enormous tower defense fanboy. Ever since my Warcraft three days, man, I was oh, so good, man. So like these these TDs that you could play, oh, so much fun. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'm curious to see what comes out there. Like definitely down to try the oh, yeah. tower defense games. Might as well. Good. All right. Um, one last call out, shout out. I this weekend on the so the tenth and eleventh of September, I will be in Malmo. In Sweden, because I'm an esports nerd and I'm going to watch the uh, League of Legends Summer Split Finals there. Uh, I'm extremely excited. So um, I've I've been following that stuff for for years now. I had so there was once like a semifinals here in Brussels and I didn't go. And also they cast it in French, which is absolutely atrocious, and I don't know why they would do that. Anyway, um, I'm I'm a I, I followed like the the League of Legends uh, esports scene pretty closely. I I don't play anymore. I, I played like. I don't know six seven years ago, um, but I still follow it, and so I'm excited to to go there and, and watch it and feel it live. Well, then Nico, we'll come out that. to come out to Worlds. We got NA has it this year, right? Ooh, we do. Yeah, yeah. Huh? interesting, sure. dude. NA NA in League of Legends is just it's just a meme at this point, you know. Yeah, like, that's why they all the international teams will be here. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully yeah. the crowds show up. I don't know if yeah, it's gonna yeah, be yeah. quite dude. quite like Europe, but uh, I hope they show up. Yeah, that's true. Um, I so a few weeks ago I went to actually a few months ago I went to a CS:GO uh, final uh, and, and a championship in Antwerp and man like 
CSGO is such a good esports game. Like it's so well designed around esports. It's it's crazy. Um, like you know, just have every round and there's there's this insane outplay potential. Uh, obviously, like you have boring rounds as well, but um, you know, the, the crowd and the energy is just it's just crazy. Well, I just got to throw out a, oh, of course, a plug for Rainbow Six Siege. Still going with the esports. Still a good esports game. You know, Dude. check it out. New season's uh, about to start. You know, they just had their thing in Berlin. Yeah. Solid esports as well. Okay. I only watch of Devin Cast. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, you got to watch VODs from, from a few years ago. <laughs> Good. All right, cool. Um, that's it for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed. Phil and Devin, thank you for joining this 